we are in a war of arguments. But the problem is the most influential manifestation of this war is in stories and in movies. And the problem is that in movies, their prime communication is not through the argument or the syllogism or the proposition, which we can easily analyze with our minds. No, movies work more like this. They have multiple aims. They aim for our heart, our emotions. They aim for our imagination. And then they aim for our head. You're listening to The Stage and Story Podcast, a show about story, culture, and imagination from a Christian perspective. I'm your host, Dane Bundy, president of Stage and Story and chaplain at Lifehouse Theater in Redlands, California. On today's episode, I'm excited to share with you the audio from a webinar that I recently did called Engaging the Trojan Horse, Watching Movies with a Christian Perspective. My good friend and colleague Greg Sukert of Anchored North hosted this webinar, and it was a blast. Anchored North is a phenomenal ministry dedicated to sharing the gospel through media. Among other things, they produce very high-quality video testimonies of men and women that God has radically transformed with the gospel. They also host a podcast called Virality, in which they walk through videos on YouTube that have gone viral. It's a, it's a brilliant approach. Now, I regularly listen to Virality, and I love how they provide Christian commentary on current cultural trends. More often than not, I'm horrified at where I see culture is and what is sweeping like wildfire through the homes and hearts of our generation. Greg, nor Anchored North, asked me to give them this endorsement. I simply believe in their call and gifting, and I think you could benefit a lot from the great work that they're doing for the glory of Christ. Go ahead and check out Anchored North at anchorednorth.org, or you can find them on Facebook and Instagram and on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Well, let's get back to the webinar. If you like what you're hearing, but would like the visual version of it all, we can make that happen. I'd love to send you a recording of the webinar where I show all my slides, and I'd love to do that for free. Or if you'd like a text version, I can send you my booklet that's written on this very same topic. If you email me at dane.bundy at stageandstory.org and let me know how you heard of us, I will love to give you one or all of these things for free. All right, let's get to the webinar, and I hope to hear from you soon. Well, it is uh, great to be with all of you today. Super excited to be talking with you about Christ and film and how to live the Christian life. Uh, so, yeah. Are, by the way, are you wearing the same thing that you were wearing in the video we just played? Uh, yes, I, <laughs> I have one shirt and one sweater. I'm a simple man. I did want to tell everyone before I hand this over to Dane to talk about engaging movies with a Christian perspective that there is a special gift at the end that you will not want to miss. It is an amazing resource that goes so deep into this whole topic and we're giving it away. Dane's made it and he's graciously and generously offered to give it to everyone who attends. So uh, stick to the end and you'll get this wonderful gift. Uh, and with that, I'm going to hand this over to Dane to take it away. All right. Well, uh, welcome to Engaging the Trojan Horse. I'm going to go ahead and turn off my camera so that uh, I could bring up my PowerPoint presentation. I'm very excited for today. You know, my heart and my passion is to equip the church so that uh, she can engage culture for Christ. And I think that a large um, part of what is influencing our culture 
is movies. And um, stories are very powerful things. So we're going to talk a little bit about that or a lot about that today. And uh, just a little bit about me. My wife and I have lived in uh, Kentucky and Tennessee over the last uh, decade, and we've been teaching in private Christian schools. We've started three uh, youth theater programs, and so we've been really involved in the arts, trying to influence a, a culture, um, a young culture, uh, with stories for Christ. And it's been a challenge, and uh, the longer I've been in the classroom, the more I've realized how influential uh, stories are. And so that's kind of the, the premise of today, is looking at the probably the most influential story uh, is the movie. And um, so I want to help you guys be able to engage that. So uh, over the last couple of years, um, a number of people have come up to me and asked me some real practical questions. Uh, how do I bring God into my art? Um, a pastor teacher asked me, how do I lead kids to understand stories uh, in light of Christianity? Uh, one ministry leader, this was actually uh, Greg Sukert, who asked me, well, okay, so how do we practically watch movies to find their worldview? And these are excellent questions that, um, that we're going to be talking about today. And so I'm going to break this presentation down into three sections. Uh, first is when we watch movies, how movies work, and how to watch movies. So I want to tell you a story, one that uh, you are familiar with. And it goes back to the time of the Trojan War. This is some uh, some pictures from the Wolfgang Peterson film, Troy. And as you may remember this myth, um, this great wooden horse lands on the shore of Troy. And the, the Trojan leadership has to decide, what are we going to do with this Trojan horse? So they decide to bring the horse inside the city. And uh, as you guys can remember, this was a fateful decision because that night inside of the belly of this horse, elite Greek warriors slipped out and they let the Greek army into the city, which eventually led to the destruction of Troy. Now, this is a metaphor, um, one that I want to be building this presentation around. And I want to give you a statistic. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics in 2017, the average American spends 2.77 hours a day watching television. Now, I'm going to round that up to three hours. And so we could say 21 hours a week, 90 hours a month, 1,083 hours a year, or 45 full 24-hour days of the year the average American spends in front of the television. Now, that is a lot of stories that average American is consuming. And I would argue that is a lot of Trojan horses, hundreds, maybe thousands of Trojan horses that they are welcoming into their gates. And so let's go ahead and talk about what happens when we watch a movie. I drew a little picture for you guys. And this is my doodle that I think illustrates what it is I'm trying to communicate. As you can see here, there's some children and there's even some adults in the background who are watching a screen. They're watching a movie, and within behind that movie is a Trojan horse, and in the belly is a worldview. And in this particular case, this worldview is sinister. It is dangerous, and 
it is something that uh, they are totally unaware of. Uh, it is something that is creeping up and burrowing themselves itself into their hearts, minds, and imaginations. Now let's talk a little bit about um, a storyteller, a storyteller. What I'd like to argue is that there's no such thing as an unbiased storyteller. A lot of artists talk about, oh, I'm just looking at the world and I'm just reflecting the world. Okay, yes, they're reflecting the world, but they're reflecting the world through their own lens. So I put glasses on this guy. Actually, he already came with glasses. But it represents what we call a worldview. And every person has a worldview. And even if they don't know that they have one, but they all see through these lens lenses that they have. Now, a great definition of worldview comes from James Sire's great book called The Universe Next Door. And this is how he defines a worldview. A worldview is a set of presuppositions, assumptions which may be true, partially true, or entirely false, which we hold consciously or subconsciously, consistently or inconsistently about the basic makeup of our world. So these are beliefs, these are experiences that we have that often we're not even aware of, but that we always bring to what we see in the world. So let's talk about the Christian who most certainly has a worldview. This is a book called Walking on Water by Madeline Langle. If you were to Google best books on intersection of theology and art, this book would come up. It's called, um, like I said, Walking on Water. And Madeline Langle was a very interesting woman. And um, I'm going to talk a little bit about her fictional work in just a moment. But let me read you a quote from her book on faith and art. She says, quote, that's probably the chief difference between the Christian and the secular artist. The purpose of the work, be it story or music or painting, is to further the kingdom or excuse me, further the coming of the kingdom to make us aware of our status as children of God and to turn our feet towards home. So notice that what she is saying, what differentiates her from the secular artist is that she has a purpose in her work, and that's to further the coming of the kingdom. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that in her work, she integrates seamlessly her Christian worldview. This is one of her um, Newberry um, medal, Newbery award-winning medal book called A Wrinkle in Time. And, and literally in this book, she quotes large passages of scripture. On page 76, she quotes Isaiah 42. On page 222, she builds a whole section of the book around 1 Corinthians 1, this idea of the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Madeline Langle can't help but bring her worldview into her work. Now let's talk about the non-Christian artist. This individual has a worldview as well. And what is interesting is Disney, yep, Disney remade A Wrinkle in Time, and they did it with their worldview. Jennifer Lee is a screenwriter, and she was the individual behind the movie Frozen. And here is um, Lee talking about Langle's faith. In a good way, she says, I think there are a lot of elements of what she wrote that we have progressed on as a society, and we can move on to the other elements. So what does that mean? Well, Langle's Christian faith is something that our society has moved past. And so we're going to 
implement something else. And what do you think that she's going to implement into her modern retelling of A Wrinkle in Time? Well, let me show you some scenes from the movie. Here's Chris Pine giving a presentation. He's a physicist, and this is what he says. What if we're not just in the universe, but the universe is within all of us? Okay, interesting. And then we have Oprah playing Mrs. Witch, who tells the lead character, Meg, a young girl, and you won't be able to tesser, that means move through time, until you become one with the universe and yourself. And then one of my favorite scenes, I'm being a little sarcastic, is this wonderful meditation scene, um, which they bring in um, Galifianakis, a comedian, Zach Galifianakis, who um, encourages them all to center themselves and meditate. Friends, what they have done is they have completely gutted Madeline Langle's story of her faith, of her worldview, and infused this Eastern spiritualism. This is a Trojan horse. Now, as you're probably guessing, when we watch movies, we receive a worldview, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not. Now, let's go ahead and move on to the second section. Now, let's talk about how movies work. So why do we watch movies? Well, there are a lot of reasons, but the reasons why I usually watch movies is because I'm coming in, I'm wanting to relax, escape amuse myself. Amuse basically means not to think. And these are many reasons why, as you can see on the PowerPoint, we just let those Trojan horses right in to our hearts and our minds. I want to read you a passage um, from 2 Corinthians where he talks about the war that really is going on right now in this world. It's a cosmic war. Paul says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We are in a war of arguments, but the problem is the most influential manifestation of this war is in stories and in movies. And the problem is that in movies, their prime communication is not through the argument or the syllogism or the proposition which we can easily analyze with our minds. No, movies work more like this. They have multiple aims. They aim for our heart, our emotions. They aim for our imagination. And then they aim for our head. But as you'll see, by the time that the message gets to our head, the movie has already captured our heart. It has already stirred us to love the things that the filmmaker wants us to love, already stirred us to hate the things that the filmmaker wants us to hate. It's already um, engaged our imagination, making us think, what if I could be like this filmmaker wants me to be? And then finally, it then hits our mind. But by that time, it's almost too late. I used to teach. 7th and 8th grade logic, yes, 7th um, and 8th graders uh, do uh, try and learn logic, and it was interesting. They, they really did a great job, but I had a great focus on fallacies or errors in logic, and we talked about this concept of propaganda, and I would like to argue that some films truly are propaganda, and I would define propaganda as an argument which manipulates the heart to avoid the mind so that it's like they sneakily slip past the mind and go straight to 
the heart. I mean, we are, as human creatures, we are very much moved by our emotions. Now, I'd like to take a step back real quick and say that not all movies are propaganda, even though all movies are Trojan horses. Now, not all Trojan horses, if you're following me, are sinister and dangerous. There are some Trojan horses which packed in the belly is a message that is true and good and virtuous. So I want to quickly look at three examples of Trojan horses. Some of them are sinister, some of them are not. Let's begin with a biblical Trojan horse. This is in 2 Samuel 12, when the prophet Nathan confronts David with a sermon. No, I'm sorry, actually. No, with a story. He comes to him, weaves this story, draws David in so that David's emotions are stirred. He's angry at this um, ruler that Nathan told him about who took another man's lonely sheep. David was so angry, his emotions were so stirred that he called for this man's death. And Nathan turned to him and said, David, you are that man. A Trojan horse had slipped in and David was moved and brought to repentance through it. Very thought-provoking attempt of how to use stories. The next one is a movie called... War for the Planet of the Apes. It was written, produced, and directed by a man named Matt Reeves. This is the reboot of the, the classic Planet of the Apes, and this is the final installment. This is the, the final story in which the, um, the humans are trying to wipe out the apes once and for all. And the lead individual, the, the anti-hero or the villain is a special forces colonel named Woody Harrelson. What I'd like to argue is that this movie actually is a retelling of the Exodus story. And Caesar, the lead ape, is portrayed as Moses. Now, I want you to notice what these filmmakers subtly are doing. Now, look at this scene. We have a cage. And this speaks, reminds me of the Israelites being enslaved by the Egyptians. Now, there is biblical imagery all over this film. If you look at the, um, the vehicle that's in the background, this ape is starting to revolt. And it says, in the beginning and the end, or the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. That's right from Revelation. What is going on? This must be a Christian film, right? Well, I don't know. Um, here is Special Forces Colonel, played by Woody Harrelson. What's interesting about him is he reminds me a lot of Hitler. He's this very um, charismatic individual who wears all these um, religious imagery like crucifixes. And um, what we find is that the filmmakers are portraying him as not only Pharaoh, who is enslaving Caesar, but also God, who has enslaved us. The, the, the viewers of this film. And so much so that he even puts Caesar on a wooden structure. And there's this scene in which we were, if we were to go back and forth, um, Woody Harrelson is looking down on Caesar and Caesar is looking up at him thinking, why have you done this to me, Father? Reminding me what Jesus was on the cross. Now, uh, what's interesting is the whole 
the whole objective of Caesar is to free his people from the kernel and bring them into the promised land. Does this look familiar to you? Into the wilderness. So what is going on is this filmmaker is subverting the biblical story, subverting the Christian worldview. And if we don't think carefully about it, we may not see it. And even though there is religious imagery, Christian imagery all throughout it, it's being used to subvert and not affirm. I'd like to introduce you to another film, one that is actually excellent. It's called A Quiet Place. It was made in 2018. It was directed by John Krasinski. You may recognize John from The Office, the television show. He played Jim. And this story is an interesting one. It takes place in a post-apocalyptic world in which monsters are ruling the world and eating the people. And um, what they've found out is what attracts them is noise. And so hence the, the title, A Quiet Place. And what I love about this movie is that this movie is all about the family un, in, a host, in hostile times, the family being attacked. And so this movie is about this father training his daughter and his son to live in a hostile world. Ultimately, he's preparing them so that when they die, that they can live in this um, monster-run world. There are some beautiful moments um, when they are just trying to survive as a family. And here we can see that um, the family is, is holding hands and is praying. Um, ironically, though, the father is not holding hands, and maybe that could be just something that we could discuss later. But uh, there is some religious imagery in here, but uh, nothing like we saw in Planet uh, in the War for the Planet of the Apes. And so here's another image of the mom uh, training her daughter to 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 thrive in this hostile world. Finally, I'm not going to give anything away, but there's some real powerful images of a father. Um, sacrificing himself for his family, which truly reminds me of what Paul talked about in Ephesians 5. Now, this is really fun. He went on the Jimmy Kimmel uh, show, and John Krasinski explained exactly why he wrote this movie um, and direct this movie. He says, it sounds psychotic, but it's a love letter to my kids. I wrote the movie for my daughters. Now, this is very interesting because this movie is is packaged in the genre of horror just look at those covers would you naturally if you saw that um that cover on netflix you know especially if you had uh, your family around you would you go watch that i wouldn't uh, it was actually in a recommendation see this is sometimes how trojan horses work they masquerade as something that's not expected just like what nathan did with david but then also just like they did with the war for the planet of the apes now let's go ahead and move on to the final section um, how to watch movies with a christian perspective I'd like to argue that really the problem here is not what movies we watch necessarily, but it's how we watch them. I was just brainstorming um, recently just about the different ways that Christians, I notice, uh, approach movies. I'm just going to quickly go through this. None of this is really um, based in hard research, but this is just from my perspective what I've seen is that these are some of the ways that we uh, Christians approach stories and movies. Some we might say, you know what, I only want to stick to the facts because only the facts are what tell us the truth. 
in a, in a modern world with science that is so predominant, that's a common way for us to look at stories. We might also say, you know what? My time is limited. Fiction is less spiritually beneficial for me, so I'm just gonna stick to nonfiction. Um, sometimes we may look at films and we may say, you know what? I'm just going to watch a film based on how it is rated. G, PG, PG-13, R, um, and that's pretty common where I hear a lot of people say, I, I don't watch PG-13 or R movies, and, um, and I don't fault them for that. I'm just noticing this is what I see. Oftentimes we say, you know what? I just, I don't watch horror films. I don't watch soap operas. Um, I personally don't watch soap operas, but sometimes we just think there's nothing redeeming in horror films, and I'm gonna stick with drama. Well, I'm going to especially stick with documentaries because those correspond best with uh, the truth. We, um, we might also take another approach which says, you know what, because of general revelation, we can see God and his presence in all films. So I'm going to watch I'm going to watch a lot of films. And I'm just going to look for God and his presence in them. And then finally, some might argue, you know what, I am a Christian. I am not bound by the law, so I'm free to see all movies. And so they do. They go and they see everything. Now, if I could just put this on um, this kind of this scale going from left to right, going from guarded to free, that's how I might put these on this, um, this spectrum. And, you know, I think that um, especially from fiction is less than spiritual to gods and all, there's definitely some strengths in those perspectives. But what I'm gonna argue is that there's probably a better way to approach watching movies as a Christian. And it begins with really understanding God's story. Now, I'm gonna quote you something that I, I love because I've been involved with drama for so long um, that Dorothy Sayers really makes a great point here. This is from her work, Creed or Chaos. She says, the Christian faith is the most exciting drama that ever staggered the imagination of man. The plot pivots upon a single character and the whole action is the answer to a single central problem. What think ye of Christ? So Christianity is, is a story and it all pivots on the man Christ. Now, I, I gave some more doodles for you guys, uh, and here's my drawing of God's story. I call it God's drama, and on the very left, we have creation, then we, we have the fall, and then we have um, most of human history and most of scripture in which God is redeeming creation. And then um, finally, when, when God returns and sets up his kingdom, we are ushered into the new creation. But this is an important way to look at Christianity. It's not the only way, but it's an important way to really grasp that what the Bible is teaching is a unified story, and it's God's story. Now, movies by themselves do reveal things. They can reveal truth, goodness, and beauty. and one of the, the individuals who talks a lot about this is a, is a gentleman named Craig Detweiler. He used to teach at Biola University, used to be in charge of the film department. And this is what he said. I'm interested in how God speaks through people, places, and experiences outside of scripture, specifically within the feature film going experience. And uh, again, he says, in this study, in this book, I hope to awaken the underexplored possibilities of natural theology. 
the opportunities presented by general revelation. Okay, so what does he mean by natural theology and general revelation? Well, let's talk about general revelation. General revelation is what God has revealed to all people undiscriminately um, through creation. So without the scriptures, people can come to certain observations that are true about the world. And movies can speak to this. And I'm going to move, I know there's a lot here, but let's move from the left down to the bottom right and then up. So a lot of movies talk about this idea of a sense of loss. And, and what these movies are doing is they're actually creating this longing or rem remembering this longing for Eden. There's a great book called Echoes of Eden, and it speaks to this idea. Um, a lot of movies talk about man's desire to create or to tell stories. That is man reflecting on the reality that we are created in the image of the creator. A lot of films talk about this sense of hopelessness and confusion. And this speaks to the reality that we live in a fallen world, a broken world, and that we are separated from God. We cannot return to create to Eden, and we cannot and we cannot go to new to the new creation by ourselves. A lot of films, like the fairy tales, they reveal that humanity has this desire for a happy ending. That speaks to the new creation. Um, we we also talk about in films this great desire to be to have fellowship with our human beings and to be restored um, because we feel like we're broken. That speaks to the coming of of Christ when one day He will rule and He will restore this fellowship that we so desperately want. And you know what? A lot of films, um, especially today on Netflix, we see a lot of anti. Um, anti-hero films where they kind of really focus in on the villain and we can see boy man is sure depraved and and this is a true observation that really speaks to the fall of humankind a lot of times uh, excuse me um, a lot of times films create this utopia and the and a world in which things are so much better and really this is a quest for a new creation there's a a great show called West Wing in which um, some individuals just reflect about, oh, how great it would be to have a president like Jed Bartlett. And um, <clears throat> and the, the writer Aaron Sorkin talks about how he really didn't um, intend to persuade the audience that this is how things should be. But, but truly, as Brian Moylan says in The Guardian, uh, is that Sorkin has a mission. Um, he says the problem with Sorkin's fatally flawed mission is that it could never exist in the real world. So this is also a show called Newsroom in which Sorkin is is giving a idealized version of what the news could look like. So my point in all of this is that we are constantly creating what we think would be a utopia, what we think would be heaven on earth, how society could run perfectly. But ultimately, man's utopias end in dystopias. And so movies, they need context and correction. And I think that this context and correction comes from scripture. And so on the right, we see we have general revelation. And movies reveal true things. They, they reveal our desires 
to be reunited to God, to no longer live in a fallen world. Um, but what we see is that special revelation through the gospel reveals to us that only God through Christ can bring about the new creation. And so we talk about um, we need to be framing our films with God's story um, while we are looking for God, the remnants of God's presence in um, human stories. So I call that framing our films with God versus finding God with our films. And uh, the problem is that in Romans one twenty one, it talks about how, what do we do with this general revelation? Well, Paul says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So natural man perverts this general revelation that we have so that we will never desire on our own to return to God and that the gospel will always seem like foolishness. And so that's why we need scripture or special revelation to correct, to frame, to explain any truths that the movies we tell or the stories that we tell today are telling us. So here is the stage and story approach, or here's here's my approach. There's three simple steps to how we can watch a movie with a Christian perspective. And as you can see, we have the Christian story that is constantly circling around each of these steps. Now I'm going to return to the metaphor of the Trojan horse. So let's look at the very first step. The first step is in the guard tower. Right, The role of the guard is to search for potential threats. And in the story of the Trojan horse, those guards were the ones who saw, hey, there's a wooden horse on our shore. That's all that they did. So as, as it regards to us, when we come and search a movie, we're simply observing a movie for its basic components. And so what are those basic components? We're gonna be looking at the characters. We're gonna be looking at imagery. What type of imagery, especially religious imagery, is prevented or presented? And what is going on in the plot? Now we're not assessing whether this movie is, is one that is dangerous or one that is beneficial, we're simply identifying the basic building blocks of the story. And then there's one tool that I would recommend in this section, and it's identifying a story in light of three types of stories. And I would call those whole stories, bent stories, and broken stories. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But let's take a look at some of the questions that we could ask when we're going through the first step, which is searching. We'll ask basic questions, questions that your English teacher wanted you to ask when you were going through literature. What does the hero want? Now the imagery, how is the religious imagery being used, if there's any, in this film, in this plot, in this movie? What is the movie's message? So we're just making observations at this point. Now let's look at this first tool. We can see that this is not a perfect categorization, but it is one that's helpful. And we can break stories into three categories, whole stories, broken stories, and bent stories. So let's first look at whole stories. Whole stories are stories in which good is portrayed as good and evil as evil. And in the end, good wins. A great example of this is Lord of the Rings. Uh, a broken story is when good is clearly distinct from evil and evil is clearly distinct from good, but in the end, 
evil wins. And Zodiac is a movie in which a serial killer is being chased and in the end is never caught. And that's a broken story. And then we have the Bent story, which is wildly popular right now, in which evil is actually portrayed as good and good is actually portrayed as evil. So that we, like in Ocean's Eleven, are found rooting for the bank robbers. And we are rooting for them to escape the rightful owners of what they're trying to steal. Isn't that interesting how that works? So we have whole stories, broken stories, and bent stories. Now let's look at the second step. Second step is now we need to take the role of the leadership. They've been notified that there's a Trojan horse, or excuse me, that there's been a wooden horse on the shores. Now they have to do the hard work of assessing, is this thing, well, what is it? Is it good? Is it bad? Should we bring it inside the gates or not? So that's up to the leadership. And this is the most important step in understanding a movie from a Christian perspective. So we're trying to understand what is the film saying or what is the worldview behind it. And so we can break this step into a number of sections. We can focus on the filmmakers and their worldview. We could focus on the critics and what they think the movie is saying or what they think the worldview is. And then we can respond to it as the audience. And then here's the second tool. Leland Riken, in his excellent book, The Liberated Imagination, talks about three ways that stories interact with the Christian faith. And I'm going to give you those three ways in just a moment. But here are some basic questions that you could ask in the assess step. So the filmmaker, you are going to ask, what does the filmmaker say the film is about? So you know the extra um, features at the end of a DVD? Hey, that's how you figure out what the filmmaker thinks this film is about. You can also look at interviews with the filmmaker. I also like to look at Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic to see what the critics say this film is about. And then finally, as an audience, we respond to the film. And we respond to the film, remember, in light of the Christian story. And so we ask ourselves, is this film trying to undermine the Christian story? like? War for the Planet of the Apes was, or is it affirming elements of the Christian story, like I think A Quiet Place was? Now let's look at that second tool. Riken says that there's three ways that stories engage with the Christian perspective or the Christian worldview. He says illusion, and these are um, simply bringing up imagery, word imagery or actual visual imagery in the story that somehow connects with the Christian faith. Then we have an inclusive engagement. And this basically means that the story brings truths that Christianity affirms, but these truths are not exclusive to Christianity. So this might be something like the idea that God exists or that human beings, there's something wrong with human beings. Those are things that Christianity affirms, but it is not exclusive of Christianity. So Judaism, Islam would basically agree with those as well, as well as other worldviews. And then finally, we have an exclusive. Now, exclusive means that a movie or a story deals with 
ideas that are exclusively Christianity or exclusively found in Christianity. So this movie, I can only imagine, deals with being saved, um, coming to know Christ, and those are exclusive to Christianity. So thinking through these three ways is helpful because as we saw with the War for the Planet of the Apes, just because they alluded to the faith doesn't mean necessarily that it is affirming it. It could be trying to undermine it. So we then finally move to the final step, and this is what I call advance. So this is putting yourself in the role of the soldier. The soldier must advance either bringing the horse within the gates or leaving the horse with outside of the gates, but it's all based upon what the leader, the leadership decided to do. So if the leadership decided that this Trojan horse is sinister, then the soldiers bring, leave the horse outside of the gates, maybe light it on fire. So what we do as movie um, consumers is we then need to advance based on what we decided the worldview of, of the film is. If we think that the worldview of the film is sinister, then we are going to reject those sinister elements. If we think that the worldview in this movie is beneficial, if it is true, then we will accept, we will affirm what that film is saying. So we can see that it's two, two basic steps. We, we affirm in the film what is true and virtuous. We can bring that element within inside the gates, within the, the gates of our hearts and our minds. And then we reject what we see that is not true. And what we see is, is sinful or um, not virtuous behavior. You know, Philippians 4.8 speaks about this concept of um, gravitating towards whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Thinking about these things, I think if we approach movies keeping the Christian story in mind, approaching these movies like a story by looking at its characters, its imagery, its plot, by asking important questions about those who developed this film, who put their worldview into it. I think that we are able to put Paul's command into action when we watch movies. Now, I'm not saying that we should indiscriminately watch any movie just because we have a Christian perspective to it. We do need to use wisdom and discernment, but I do think that this approach will help you put Paul's command into action. Finally, I'd like to leave you with three recommended works that I think will be very beneficial for you. Leland Riken wrote this book called The Liberated Imagination. I love this subtitle, Thinking Christianly About the Arts. So it's more than just stories, but it, he tells you how to approach um, any type of art from a Christian perspective. Then we have Brian Gadawa. He's a board member of Stage and Story, and he wrote this excellent book called Hollywood Worldviews, where he walks through a bunch of films and analyzes the worldviews behind them. He was a, he's an award-winning screenwriter, so he knows how this works. And then finally, James Sire's excellent book, The Universe Next Door, which is a worldview catalog. So if you're thinking to yourself, boy, I only know like two worldviews, the atheist worldview and the Christian worldview. Well, that's okay. James Sire will introduce you to a lot of different worldviews so that when you approach movies, you can start identifying them. Well, 
um, it's been such a pleasure being with you this time, at least for me, has just flown by. Um, I'd love for you to, to reach out to me. These are my email addresses. Um, I'm on staff at Lifehouse Theater a faith-based community theater that welcomes over 30,000 people a year to our Redlands location, in which um, we are constantly thinking about these very issues that I brought up today. How do we approach stories from a Christian perspective? So for over 25 years, Lifehouse has been sending out Trojan horses um, full of soldiers that are delivering truth, goodness, and beauty. And so um, we are putting on It's a Wonderful Life right now, and it's a, it's a great story. And we're constantly writing new original musicals for our audience. We'd love to have you um, come and visit us. And then if you want to learn more about um, our ministry, Stage and Story, you can visit us at stageandstory.org. Hey, friends, thank you so much for listening to the Stage and Story podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, make sure to subscribe to our podcast. And that'd be great if you could give us a rating and share this episode with a friend. If you want to find out more about Stage and Story, please check out our website at stageandstory.org. You can also subscribe and be notified of upcoming events and free resources to help you think about culture with a Christian perspective. Until next time, this is Dane Bundy wishing you a wonderful week in Christ. Thank you.